Today on the 1012 Podcast, myself, Andy, and Jamie talk about Big 12 men's and women's hoops. Let's look at where things stand after the first couple weeks of conference play, first for the men and second for the women. And John Kurtz joins us for a way, way too early look at Big 12 title contenders for the 2024 football season. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. You can find every show on the network at 1012network.com, and we are partners with Sport Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. Thank you for joining us today. This is our second episode of 2024, but this is the first episode that feels like the show is supposed to be it just it it feels right because it's the first time in a while we've brought together the three primary voices of this show that you will hear on a regular weekly basis because i'm not doing this alone but it's basketball season so we are all about hoops and i i i rely so heavily on these two people once it gets to this point in the season specifically when it comes to men's and women's basketball so joining me as they always do the voices you know and in one case love and the other case complain because All he right. talks about his particular team uh, with a heavy bias uh the one you just heard is Andy Mitz i i don't know what you're talking about what bias I can't I can't wait till we talk about the Kansas game. And of course the voice you love, the uh, vibe queen of the 1012 network. She is JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. Oh my gosh. It's so good to finally be back. And it's it's great because I've got we're recording this. I've got another podcast appearance tomorrow to talk more Big 12 women's hoops. Like we are we are thriving. We are talking so much basketball. We are watching so much basketball. Oh, it is it is a good time of year. Who are you two-timing us with? Well, Philip, since I branded myself as your go-to for Big 12 women's basketball by putting it in my Twitter bio. Which is good. You uh are. I've 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 been on I've been on a couple shows. I uh I went over on Mark Schindler's podcast uh, early in the season and then tomorrow I'm going on uh, Daniel Mattia from her hoop sets. I'm going on his show to talk a little bit of Big Twelve hoops. So. Look, she's building the brand. No, she is. Come on, she is the brand. Okay, JSJ. Say, when it, when it comes brand. to women's basketball, she is the brand for Ten Twelve. She's at some point. We're oh. just gonna let J, like JSJ just give you the face and the voice of the Ten Twelve Network to for for our own benefit. Uh, yeah. Look, when it comes to Big Twelve women's hoops, you're the go-to. That's you know, it's not. That's not the reason we that's, keep you around. That's like, I mean, that could be like a good or a uh, or a, or a negative uh, when when just no one covers it. It's like, yeah, I'll I'll jump. Look, in we're going to give fine. full credit to Justin Carts, who does a great job over at her uh, her hoop sports, and uh, we'll that's, get her. No, he is. I, I mean, love Justin, but when we're talking national braids, bro, there it needs a little help. It needs a little help. Also, because uh, we've kind of touched on and talked in the past about uh, women's sports betting. Uh, Jamie, I assume you follow Tissue Index, right? Yeah, I do. Because he puts out women's basketball betting numbers. And it's awesome. Yes. He does. He does. And then uh it's a it's a subscription for the full one, but 
uh her hoop stats has one as well with a couple of my guys and they do i mean they're wild they're they're really they're good all right so they've got great numbers all you've just said is that we need to get them on to talk about women's basketball betting on the show I like this. I like this idea. This we're going to put this in the show notes, and we're going to let Jamie take care of it for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the first time we've been together since December, like before the Big Twelve Championship game. I think. I think that's right. That's um, a poor way of measuring time for me. Yeah, we we is. know. Okay, uh, the first weekend of December, which is when the game is typically played. I think it's been a month since we've chatted here on the podcast of course yeah it was like early in early in basketball yeah. season because i also was like we're not going to do very many episodes between now and the end of the year because i needed a break well I mean, okay let me ask you guys then uh andy what was your best christmas gift uh my best christmas gift would be getting to go down to the uh the guaranteed rate bowl to watch ku take on unlv surprise the kids with it um so that we all got to go down got to go visit some friends who lived in the area as well for actually on Christmas. So it was a, it was a great trip. Um, didn't really have, obviously it took up a lot of the f- Christmas funds. So that was a, but it was well worth it. Event presents are, are my love language. I, my favorite gifts are always like tickets to things. I didn't have one of those this year, but that's, it's always good. Always good. Jamie. Oh my gosh. I, how long do we have? <laughs> I got I got all sorts of I got all sorts of great stuff because I get I get a bunch of clothes and things like that. So it's just it's it's overflowing. It's wonderful. I oh you know what Christian got me. He knew I needed a new uh carry on size bag for road trips, and so he got me one with a raccoon on it. Very good. That was two thumbs up. Very good. And now, you know, you're you're unloading it from the plane. You've got all your Iowa State bags. And then, you know, the one with a big raccoon on it, that's Jamie's bag. It used to be the bright blue one is Jamie's bag. But the raccoon, more distinctive. Much more Jamie. Much more JSJ. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, I had a few good things. Uh, I would say the one I did not expect to be my favorite, uh, not a sponsor, was my Ember coffee mug. Because my wife has always been like, how do you just drink the same cup of coffee all day? Because like, I'll pour a cup of coffee in the morning and it just gets to whatever temperature is at the room, but I'm just going to drink it because I have three kids to chase around. So keeping coffee hot, I don't want to pour it out and refill it and won't pour it out and refill it. It's wasteful. Uh, so it's an Ember coffee mug. So it keeps my coffee at whatever set temperature I preset it to. And now I can't use a regular coffee mug. So it's both the best I gift and the worst thing ever. But also not, yeah. Uh, I would never in the million years buy myself one, but my mother-in-law bought it for me. And so now I'm like, okay, well, this is a problem. We can just clear out all the other coffee mugs except for the ones I like just for, you know, like I have to have my OSU mug and I've got a Doctor Who mug that's the actual TARDIS. I am a nerd. But like, I don't, I'm just going to keep them because they look good, but otherwise I'm just going to use this because I don't, I don't, I, now, now I'm spoiled. I hate gifts that spoil me and I also love them. <laughs> Just, just cricket like a little logo or something for your ember. Oh uh, yeah, ooh. Let me put a little. Let's put an OSU sticker on it. It doesn't get hot on the outside. It's just the inside. It's amazing. I love it. It's great. Uh, other things I love, basketball. So let's talk about that. Let's start on the men's side. We've got uh, quite a bit of hoops to talk about here. We've got uh, three topics. No, no big controversies or anything. Just a lot of really good hoops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Look, it is 
Big 12 conference play. OSU fans are disappointed. Kansas is getting suspect calls in Fog Allen. It's just it's just another season, another Tuesday in Big 12 men's basketball. What do you what do you come to expect? All right, so the way we're going to do this, I think for for at least a little bit until we decide we don't like this format is uh, three topics on the men's side, three topics on the women's side because there are 14 teams and I can't sit here and cover them all well. And we've got an interview coming up later that I forgot to tease. Anyways, uh, to talk about some. Way too early top, or not top, I was going to say way too early top 25. Oh, I finished putting all the Christmas decorations away this weekend in case you were curious. Thank you, Saturday and Sunday. Um, way too early uh, contenders in Big 12 in football with John Kurtz from YouTube. So let's uh, let's start with hoops, though, men's side. Topic number one. Um, Andy, I know people are so excited to hear your take on this. It's not just Big 12 fans who said that it was a bit suspect, both at the end of the game and a little bit late, in the way the refs decided to handle calling that very close game between Kansas and TCU. I've seen non-Big 12 fans point it out. It is, I think, kismet and, and beautiful that the very first Big 12 game for Kansas, they win at home in a close one. Where there were some suspect decisions in regards to calls or not calls that allowed them to get the two point win over TCU on Saturday, Andy, I've, I've, we've we've heard your uh, numbers and research on how fair or unfair the refs are in Allen Fieldhouse, but I'm curious your opinion on uh, on the end of the game Saturday between Kansas and TCU. Yeah, first of all, this is I mean this is confirmation bias at its worst, right? Like everybody wants to think that Kansas gets more calls at home than most people get at home, which is not typically the case. Maybe there's a little bit more, but the way that I've always said it is that it's probably about the same. It's just Kansas is in, is in a position to actually take advantage of those lucky breaks more often than most teams. And so a lot of, you know, when it happens and it leads to a win as opposed to a loss, then people get upset about it. It happens with Kansas a lot more because Kansas is typically in those games where they can benefit off of it. That being said, like, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that a lot of people were upset about was obviously the flagrant. Um, I said live, right. That I thought it was a common foul that Uday swinging his arm back and hitting Hunter. Like it was, it was contact above the, you know, above the shoulders usually gets called as a foul, especially if it's, you know, forcible contact. But at first, it didn't look at all like it, it should have been flagrant. And, you know, at the very least, though, it should have been a foul call initially. The fact that they didn't call it initially doesn't, I think, change the fact that it should have been called. The only reason now they actually said and, you know, I was looking and there was a, actually a really good breakdown about how all this happened by Seth Davis and, and Jay Wright over on the on the CBS set. And. It's not very often that I, you know, compliment Seth Davis on the way that he breaks things down. So that tells you that something weird is going on here. But, you know, first of all, they should have stopped it initially. So that wasn't even a question, right? Uh, so, hey, there was something going on here. We need to call something. We need to go review it. But then when uh, I believe it was Micah Peavy that had, that had the ball looked back to, you know, pass the ball backwards and they started to initiate normal offense, we're no longer in fast break situation. So all the rules about not stopping play for somebody who is down on the floor don't apply anymore because we're not in a fast break situation. Um, you know, that's the way it's always been. It's just, it happened at Kansas and it happened right after this. And then they went back and reviewed it. So 
you look at the flagrant, you know, the flagrant rules though, and you look at the replay and I saw it with the initial replay, like really slowed down the slow-mo and it doesn't look nearly as bad as when you actually watch the full speed live replay. Uday had no reason at all to throw his elbow back. Like the ball was in front of him. He was coming down. He was leaning forward. And all of a sudden his elbow goes back and smacks Hunter Dickinson right in the face. And so that's, I mean, that's textbook flagrant. The only question at that point is, is it a flagrant one or is it a flagrant two? And he gets ejected. Like that's it. Once you have that elbow to the face in a non-basketball move, the only thing left to decide is how excessive was it? Does it deserve him being ejected? And so, you know, at that point, that's it. Like I understand the people talking about the potential push off from Hunter Dickinson. And again, those sorts of things get missed all the time. There was a, there was a push off from TCU that allowed them to take the lead earlier that kind of the same thing. It's like those get missed. You live with it. You deal with it. And then the talk about the travel, there's some question about whether he was, you know, whether he dragged his pivot foot or anything like that. But there was a ref that was literally sitting two feet away with direct line of sight. And look, I, I mean, you can say what you want, but I don't think there's refs in anyone's pocket big enough to say, hey, you're right in front of me and you did something that I know absolutely I should have blown a whistle on, but I'm just not going to do it and hope that nobody calls me out on it. So, look, I understand kind of the way all of that came together. I think the most most people had an issue with the flagrant and stopping. And then once it got explained that, hey, that actually was the right way to handle it, then it's, oh, well, let's go look and see what other things we can find that should have allowed TCU to either win the game or send it to overtime. I think at worst, it should have gone to overtime. But, you know, Kansas should have gotten the ball back at that point. They should have theoretically been able to take free throws. The only question was, did Hunter Dickinson foul Uday as well? In which case, Uday should have been able to shoot some free throws. But that's it. Like... I understand that people want there to be controversy. Everybody wants to talk about how Kansas gets all the calls all the time, no matter where they are. It's just not true. It sucks that this is what we have to deal with, but it's what we have to deal with normally with big 12. It's not anything different. It's not anything new. It's not Kansas getting a bunch of super special, special treatment. It's just the nature of the way that officiating in college basketball works. And unfortunately it sucks because it has more problems than we all want. You could have just left it at, unfortunately, it sucks. Because honestly, that's the way I feel about officiating this year. <laughs> that's fair. I tried to think of if I could make my dream crew and I could only come up with two. Wow. I can't think of a third Ouch. I trust consistently. Uh, yeah, that that's saying something. As I said, it wasn't just Kansas fans. Uh, Fran Fischilla, Jeff Morzello, uh, CJ Moore. All kind of like, yeah, that probably shouldn't have been a flagrant. But, well, but a lot of those were like saying that live. And then when you go back and actually look at what they said afterwards, they're like, oh, on second thought, I can understand why they called it that way. All right. Um, CJ Moore specifically uh, was one of the ones. But like, there was there was quite a few people that like looked at it. And the initial reaction was very similar to mine. It was like, it was that really a flagrant? And like, you know, the way that I was live blogging the game, I basically said, Oh man, I understand why they stopped it now. Like I look and see what happened there. I, I, I'm guessing that they're probably just going to say it was a common foul and that it's going to be Kansas ball, you know, like, like a loose ball, common foul, maybe Kansas ball. Like theoretically they could upgrade it to a flagrant one, but I don't think they will. And then the more I watched it, the more I actually saw some of these other looks that I couldn't see on the broadcast. It's like, Oh, okay. I, I understand why they did it. 
yeah, it sucks that that's the moment it came. And that's what, like, those are the circumstances, but you can't just ignore a textbook flagrant one because it happens to benefit the school that a lot of people like to hate. All right. So topic number two, two teams who disappointed on Saturday, we had Ben Hazel uh, of the Midwest Madness podcast uh, used to help work for UCF on the show. And there's two teams we talked about in particular as far as like, do you believe in them or not? One of them being Texas, one of them being BYU. Two teams that lost on Saturday. Now, the he is not the first person I have heard say Texas is not for real. They are fool's gold right now. And Texas, welcome Texas Tech to Austin for the last time. Texas Tech will probably play in Austin for who knows how long uh, in men's basketball. And Texas Tech got them. Texas Tech took care of Texas in Austin. And it wasn't. I don't know, I wouldn't say it was a particularly close game. Texas Tech, who's been a solid team so far this year, and I think they're a tournament team, took care of Texas on their home court. Then there's BYU. So Texas losing, I mean, I don't think it's too surprising if you didn't buy into Texas this season. Then BYU. So BYU is for real. Ben thought BYU is for real, and there's a lot of numbers to back up BYU being for real. Open Big 12 play at home against a Cincinnati team who's been fine, and take what was it, a nine point lead at the half and lose by 11. Now for BYU, of course, they rely heavily on the three and it was not falling for them on Saturday. BYU went 13 for 46. I was about 46 of their 64 shots were from three. They only made 13 of them. We could talk about the free throw disparity. I saw BYU fans complaining about, well, Cincinnati shot 24 free throws and we only shot 10. It's like, yeah, because when you jack up threes, you're not going to get fouled in the act of shooting very often, unless the team you're playing is not very good. So like, you're not going to get a lot of free throw attempts when you're jacking up that many three. Look, you know what? Every So they got a double feature. That. <laughs> so I'm curious your thoughts, Andy, Jamie, if you'd like to hop in here as well. The Texas loss is one loss. There's still plenty of season to go, but it does to some extent back up the, I'm not sure if Texas is for real at this season and should be, they shouldn't be ranked come Monday. I'm sorry. They were already at number 20. I don't think they should be ranked now. I'm not sure if Texas is for real. I'm going to hold to that belief. Should we change our opinion on BYU after Saturday's game? Uh, my only thought on this, because don't have to explain why you guys know me, uh, Cincinnati stayed in our same hotel in, uh, Provo and they were nice when we passed them in the hallway. And apparently, uh, because of the time change and because of how long the flight is after an eight o'clock local time tip, they were going to get home around 5 a.m. So I will say they deserved to win. That is my only thought. <laughs> I love that's messed up. They should not tip that late. <laughs> Man, I love I love that that is uh, as noncommittal as it can get. Um, but no, I appreciate it. Like BYU is one of those teams I think that surprised people. And they did it by being really good at one particular thing. Yes, they have a good defense, like a lot of different teams in the Big 12. But they really surprise people, I think, with how good they shoot from three. And unfortunately, you know, there's a reason that Bill Self calls it th- fool's gold or, or did for the longest time. It was because 
you can get really hot from three, but if you rely only on three-pointers like BYU does, there are going to be nights where you are just ice cold, you can't make any of them, and you're going to lose a game that you have no business losing just because you can't make shots. It has absolutely nothing to do with what the other team was doing, and I'm not saying that's the way it is with Cincinnati. Cincinnati definitely made it harder for BYU to get good three-point shots, but there was plenty of those wide-open ones even, or like ones that BYU, you would expect them to knock down that they just didn't make. And, and so... You know, I think this tells us as much about BYU as it does Cincinnati. Now, granted, I, I give Cincinnati a lot of props. I think that they're a better team than I expected them to be coming in. And, and I think that this shows their their ability to do that. But BYU, I think, is one of those teams that's either going to be really good in the conference or they're going to fall off really quick just because of what's happening, you know, the way that they actually try to go ahead and score points. So I think the jury's still out on BYU. I don't think they're they're as good as some people were starting to think. And I I mean, we're going to find out a whole bunch, I think, on Tuesday when they go to to face Baylor down in, in Waco. Yeah, for BYU, I'm trying to see this. Uh, let's see. They hit a shot. 12.01 left in the second half uh, to be up 51 to 47. They scored two points until 3.25 was left. Yeah, Cincinnati went on a sixteen to two run over the course of it. Just it just kept scoring. Uh, let's away. see, like it. Yeah, o- over like over like the course of nine minutes, they went on a sixteen to two run. You you were up fifty one to forty. Oh man, yeah, fifty one to forty seven with twelve oh one play. You scored nine points in the final twelve minutes of the game. Woof, woof, <clears throat> woof. Uh, yeah, like I I think BYU still gonna be good. I think they're gonna have to do something other than just shoot the three as for texas like like i, I think i, I just I, I i believe it i believe the whole like they're they're just not as good as their record indicated and they stayed ranked for as long as they did because they were ranked in the preseason and i'm just i texas tech looked like a grant mccaslin coached team and i mean that fully and totally as a compliment they played good defense um the offense was clicking and Texas was it's the first game of Big 12 play. They've got road games at Cincinnati and West Virginia coming up. UCF, like, they could lick their wounds and, and come out and sit in here three and one, and we could all be having a different conversation about Texas. But I'm I'm gonna be interested to see how Texas handles when they run into a point in the schedule where it's gonna be tricky. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I was talking with some Iowa State people, and I think this is probably the best way to 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 sum it up. If I look at like the Iowa State men's team. I don't think they're going to be in the top of the Big 12, but I think this is a lot more about the Big 12 than them. I think they could probably be top four in most of the other leagues in the country. Probably not the Big 10, um, just because of who, you know, how top heavy that is. But, um, you know, and I, I definitely feel the same way about Texas Tech. I'm still not sure what to make of this Texas Tech team because I do think that they're playing probably a little bit above their talent level, a little bit above, you know, first and and, and a first-year head coach. Like, you wonder at what, at what point are they going to hit the wall and how do they react to it? But... I, I I would say the same thing about them, right? Like I think that they would be top four in pretty much every other league. Um, Texas, I don't feel that way. Like Texas is a, is a team that like right now, if you told me standing here right now that Texas was going to finish in 12th in the conference, I'd believe it because they do not look like they know how to play effectively um, when things start to get tough. When things are going great, they're fantastic. But when they face any little bit of adversity, it is very difficult for them to get it turned around. And I don't know why, like this doesn't feel like it's a team that should be having problems like that. But for whatever reason, it seems like the first time they hit a bump, it, it, 
you know, it jostles them to the point where now they're not really sure where they're getting their next, you know, points from or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not shocked. I would, I would not be shocked if Texas completely fell off a cliff at this point. Texas has a four game stretch to end the month of January. That's Baylor at Oklahoma at BYU Houston. <clears throat> I mean, oh, and four. That's is an, that, that probably one, one and three would be good. Point. And we'll see how they do over the yeah. next three against at Cincinnati at West Virginia and UCF. Okay. Uh, topic number three for the men's side. Uh, the teams at the bottom of the conference. We'll set Texas aside since they're technically not all the way at the bottom, even though they're at oh, and one. Specifically, the teams who do not have double-digit wins at this point, that would be UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. Um, I think UCF is is kind of... How, I'm going to grade this. I think UCF is not good, but we knew that when they joined the Big 12, so that's not terribly surprising. It's not really cool to have to start Big 12 play by going on the road to Kansas State. That's a tough one. Um, they weren't They weren't very good. They got a long way to go. OSU did OSU things. They're in a game late with a good team in the Big 12 and make mistakes that cost them a game. Got to overtime. Didn't matter. Sorry, my point. And West Virginia is bad. I, I, and, and I don't want to sit here and dwell on West Virginia and be mean to West Virginia or really. Like, I, I always just feel bad because it's like this. We kind of knew what was coming after everything that happened with Huggins in the offseason. But like this is going to West Virginia this year is probably going to be the worst Big 12 team we've seen in a while, maybe since like the TCU first got in the big 12 and was awful. And it's not anything to do other than like you lost a bunch of players to the transfer portal because your head coach got fired on the off season after it was too late to really make much of a change. And you have an interim head coach. Does that seem like a fair evaluation of the three teams currently that we think are the worst in the big 12? Yeah. I mean like UCF is the, you know, I, I see them in a very similar situation when mm-hmm. TCU came to the conference mm-hmm. where you could tell it was a huge step up in competition. They were not used to, or they're they're not used to playing against conference foes that are at this level, which is nothing. I mean, like, there's not much. It's like it's really hard to get used to playing a Big Twelve schedule unless you're actually playing. And a it's Big not. Schedule. It's not like they came in um, like awesome to begin with. Well, right, yeah. It's not like they came in with huge expectations. Um, like I, I think that BYU, I think that Cincinnati, to an extent, are probably playing better than I thought they were going to initially coming in. Which again, it's just the realities of changing conferences like this. Houston obviously was a you know top five team expected to be a top five team. I'm not really that surprised that they're, that they're playing as well as they are, but UCF is the team that like, I expected them to be on a TCU like tra- tra- trajectory going to be very difficult for the first two, three years, but they have the, I think they have the pathway and, and the ability to get in additional talent, to be able to get them to where they need to be, to be competitive eventually like TCU is now Um, West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, that's just a weird situation. The one that the one that really really surprises me honestly is just Oklahoma State. Like I don't know what's going on at this point. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I should say the one that doesn't have a built-in excuse like that, right? Like West Virginia, you have the whole wonkiness with you know Huggins doing what Huggins did, and then a bunch of people leaving. UCF, you have the the talent thing. Like there's not a credible excuse for Oklahoma State being as bad as they are at this point. And I don't know if it's because Boynton's finally like lost the locker room or lost whatever it is, or if they just don't have the guys, which again is another indictment on Boynton. Like it feels to me like of all the team or of all of the coaches that could potentially be in trouble, like Boynton may not make it through the season unscathed at this point, just because it doesn't look like I'd, I don't know what the pathway is for Oklahoma state to get better. UCF, I could see some guys developing and they, 
you know, get some decent wins towards the end of the year, you know, picking up some, some stuff there. West Virginia, I could see guys rallying together and potentially, but I just don't know what to make of this Oklahoma state team. I've said this on the show and in other situations, there's not a human being I've wanted to succeed more than Mike Boynton. And that has nothing to do with me as an Oklahoma state fan. And just as a person, I don't know anyone who doesn't dislikes him, who doesn't wish he could be more successful. Um, just as a person, I'm not going to ignore all the just misfortune and mishap that has occurred during his time that has set his the program back under his watch that was out of his hands. But yeah, so OSU gets better as the season goes on. It doesn't matter. They're not a tournament team. Like they're not going to go to the dance. They're not going to win enough games in Big 12 play to get to the dance. They've got too many bad losses already from non-conference play like they do on a regular basis. Um, is it a young roster with a with some talent on it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you're the administration, you want to try and sell that as a way to keep Boynton for another season, I get it. There is fan apathy about Oklahoma State basketball. When Travis Ford was still the head coach, people cared and got pissed off when they didn't do well, despite him recruiting as well as he did. This is different. This isn't everyone's mad, because if you're mad, you still care and you're invested. This is fan apathy, and that's the one thing that will get a coach fired every single time. Um OSU will win a couple of games. Like I can predict this season. They're not going to have a winning record of Big 12 play. They'll get a couple of marquee wins that the certain fans who are just going to be loyal to a T are going to say as a selling point. Um, fans will care for a bit. They still won't. Sh- they might show up for the next home game. Uh, they'll probably lose. Like it's it just, and they're going to be in competitive games and, and make mistakes that cost them games like they did on Saturday and have done a lot in, in recent years. So look, I, I like my Boynton a lot. I, I don't, I don't know how he's the head coach at Oklahoma State next season unless they just I, – I, I don't I, – I don't see a justification for it other than we really like him. And uh, we all know how that's the, – the general consensus of like Baylor fans about Dave Aranda right now is like, yeah, he's a great guy, but like I don't know if we can keep doing this. So um, I hate it. 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 And that's just as somebody who likes my board. So um, speaking of things that I like, Charlie Hustle. Sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast and for the 1012 Network partners, I think I would call them. And why would I not want to be partners with a company that loves the Big 12 as much as we do and produces incredible vintage-inspired clothing right out of Kansas City, home of Big 12 basketball. They specialize in collegiate and hometown apparel, and it is so good. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season. So you need to go to their website now. You go to charliehustle.com. Check out everything they have for all the Big 12 schools. They've already started dropping teases. Basketball-specific shirts are coming. Like, they're coming. The one they teased was the Kansas State shirt, which is not shocking because they have a ton of great Kansas State and Kansas and Iowa State gear. And they have good stuff for everybody. And more is on the way. (coughs) Houston. (coughs) Um, I don't know. I just got a coughing fit there. Look. You need to go to charliehustle.com. You need to use the promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, and get 15% off all non-sale items. Look, we want to support companies that want to support the Big 12, and so we are big supporters of Charlie Hustle. So go check it out. Go check out what they've got. You're going to love it. There's some fantastic sweaters and hoodies. There's some incredible bomber jackets. Like They have great stuff. So go to charliehustle.com. Use that promo code 101215. 
And remember, Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, let's jump to women's hoops. Number one, TCU with a home loss to Oklahoma State. Uh, A fine but mediocre Oklahoma State team on Saturday. Dropped to 11-3, 0-1 in Big No, that's the wrong. I've got to close some tabs. The 11-3 record is wrong. The problem is when you jump between the ESPN logos and it's the men's and the women's. Uh, TCU is 14-2. 1-2 in Big 12 play. Sorry. The 0-1 should have been the giveaway because they've been playing for longer. West Virginia, whose fans have been mad that West Virginia was not higher rated and believe they should have been. And we talked about West Virginia on our midweek podcast. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, lost 70 to 49 at home to, albeit, a very, very good Texas squad. So here's the question. Jamie, I'll let you lead off. Uh, rough loss for TCU, rough loss for West Virginia. Should TCU and West Virginia fans be worried after Saturday's performances? So they're, they're extremely different situations uh, because for TCU – your worry isn't that you've lost two games in conference play. Your worry is that your most recent loss to Oklahoma State comes as a result of Sedota Prince being out. So um, she announced that she had broken her finger against Baylor, was having surgery, says she's planning on coming back at some point this season, but uh, that's that's not something that you bounce back from immediately. So you're looking at an extended period of time without Sedona Prince, and that is your most impactful player. Madison Connor has been terrific. She is uh, extremely impactful as well, but Prince is the anchor on both ends of the floor. 6-7 just isn't replicable with another player who's not 6-7. And, Wait, and you mean you can't skilled. teach height? Yeah, I, you know, I think that someone might have said that at some point. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so that's, that's your, your core of your defense, as well as the core of your offense in that she attracts attention. And that's part of what has allowed Madison Connor to be so efficient that you can't sell out on her at the perimeter, you can't sell out on on stopping the drive. And so that changes the face of your team. Um, that is the number one player you could not lose. Number two would have been Madison Connor. Number three would have been probably Jaden Owens. Um, but that's that's your number one. And so all of a sudden, your biggest advantage is gone. Uh, and, and this is a team that's already been struggling with depth. Now, there's there's a, a small bright spot from this weekend, which is that Sydney Harris played her first couple minutes uh, as a Horn Frog. That's your your sixth transfer that hasn't seen court time yet, but was incredible in her freshman year at Central Michigan. So uh, if she's ramping up, that would certainly be a positive addition, but that simply doesn't replace what Prince brings you. So against teams, especially teams with a significant inside presence, your Kansas States, your Iowa States, your um, your Texas, where you have height, length all over the place. Uh, that's that's going to be huge. Uh, there's some teams that you are still going to be able to compete against pretty well. Uh, that that's kind of the haves and the have-nots in the Big Twelve this year is the post, uh, and, and not for like who's going to be good and who's going to not be good, but that's 
the one thing that like half the teams definitely have one half the teams don't as much so uh they'll be okay but their ceiling is much 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 lower uh you're looking at a much more likely finish around where you were picked which is near the bottom of the conference at ninth. so they're they're still gonna finish potentially higher than they were picked but it's it's not good west virginia on the other hand uh i think got a little bit exposed by the team that they were the least well equipped to play against uh they are a small team they have a short bench and they came up against a team that is extremely tall is extremely long and athletic and plays a lot of players so yeah that's gonna be tough even yeah you can say oh well texas doesn't have rory Harmon." That is a big loss, but against a team like West Virginia, where it's you're running up and down the court, you're 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 having to contend with the pressure, whatever. If you can break the press, which Texas did enough times, and then slow it down, guess what? West Virginia doesn't have a player on their roster who could guard probably three of the players on the court at any given time for Texas. So that's tough in that I don't think West Virginia is built to beat Texas. I think that Texas wins that game 99 out of a hundred times. Uh, but the rest of the conference is not built that way. So you're still going to win plenty of games. You're still going to be able to defend plenty of teams. Well, you're still going to be able to turn over enough teams and speed them up enough that you're going to win games. So West Virginia, no, I'm, I'm not worried really much at all. Um, I don't think West Virginia is going to be like number one, uh, but they're absolutely a tournament team. They're absolutely top half, top third, you know, whatever, depending, but uh, TCU. Yeah. That's extremely concerning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean West West Virginia is going to be a top six team in, in the conference. I mean they just have they have so many different players that can do so many different things. And I mean you look at what happened against Texas. They shot twelve point nine percent from three, four of thirty one for a team that relies on the three as much as West Virginia does, and how good they usually are at shooting the three. That I mean you just can't overcome that. It's just not possible. And so, I mean. That is much more of a, but you're also not going to see, like they're not going to be a team that shoots four of 31 from three very often, if ever again this year. And so like, it's a, it's a freak situation. And, and I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with just the fact that, you know, Texas, like you were talking about, they are a longer team that can bother, you know, West Virginia was not getting a lot of open three point looks um, because Texas was bothering pretty much every shot. And so like, when you run into that kind of situation, unfortunately, you're going to, you know, I, th I think that every team in this conference, with the exception of maybe one, has a another team in the conference that is just an, a horrible matchup for them, right? Because just because of what they have. Now, whether they can be exploited in that particular game is a question, but that's what happened for West Virginia against Texas. Texas, like you said, Jamie, is the perfect team to counteract anything that West Virginia wants to try to do, and they showed it. Like you said, TCU, you know, have, having had this experience with, with Kansas, with multiple Kansas teams on, on the women's side, you lose a key player to an injury, even for, you know, a, a month-long stretch. 
you know, that's eight games that can immediately, like you have to completely change the way you play. You have to change how you run through everything. That's really hard to do, especially in a, in, in a conference that's this good. That has so many different, you know, play styles that you have to get used to so many different things. You're already having to adjust to a bunch of different play styles, a bunch of different, you know, ways that teams are approaching playing you. And then now you have to change the way that you play to handle the fact that you're missing a gigantic piece. I would be worried as a TCU fan. Now, again, I do think that they are good enough that they can, you know, keep themselves in contention for, for a spot in the tournament, things like that. But I wouldn't be shocked if they, if they struggle early and then have to come back and try to make that final push at the end, much like, you know, Kansas did last year, right. Where they lost guys, you know, middle of the season had a ton of depth issues, you know, had had that big slump and then made a push at the end of the year. And it was, it just wasn't quite enough to actually get to the NCAA tournament. I think TCU could find themselves in a very similar situation where they're going to slump for a little while. They might take some losses that could cause real problems for their tournament, you know, resume there. But I do think that once they get her back, like they could make that big push. The question is just going to be, is it going to be enough by that point? Yeah. The issue is going to be that the, the schedule leading up to that, because you're going to play Texas, which I mean, you probably didn't have a great shot there anyway. Uh, but then Houston, you should beat Houston. I, I it, there's there's not a game that's a given for them without Sedona Prince because of what she means for them. You're going, right. you're going, you're facing Kansas State, which I think with Sedona, that's an interesting game. Without her, that's probably a blowout. You're going to Iowa State, which. Like I said, the baff- the most baffling thing I've ever encountered is all of a sudden talking about an Iowa State with heightened post presence. That could be tough. You're going to UCF, which, I mean, shoot, UCF's looked decent at times uh, against some of the top teams in the conference. They falter a little bit down the stretch, but they don't have a ton of depth. They don't have, like, a huge inside presence, but now that's what TCU is kind of contending with. So, I don't know. They're they're in a really tough spot. I'm very intrigued to see how they respond. Not so much against Texas. Like I said, that's kind of I, I don't have high hopes there. But going to Houston, uh, I think that's going to be kind of the barometer of what TCU's ceiling is going to be without Prince. Yeah, I mean, I think the the interesting games there on their schedule, because you, you have to imagine. I mean, I have our time seeing her come back before a month or so. So like yeah. the game at Houston, game against UCF game against Kansas. I think those are the three games that if you don't if you don't win those, then you have to worry about NCAA tournament chances. Uh, one last note on Prince. Uh, shout out to her hoopsstats.com. Uh, just so you're aware, Caitlin Clark, If assume you've all heard of her. Um, what come? Yeah. Who? Uh, leads the country in player win share at 4.3. Sedona Prince is tied for eighth at three. If you want to know the impact she has for TCU and how big of a loss that is for the Horn Frogs, uh, we're gonna go a little long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap on this one. Let me get your answers quick. Uh, obviously, Texas very good, uh, shocking. Uh, we all know that uh, 15 and one. Uh, Baylor also very good at 14 and 0. Kansas State's 15 and one, three and 0 to start Big 12 play. Her hoop stats has them at fourth in the country in assists per game, uh, third in the country in opponent points per 100 possessions. West Virginia's fourth, by the way. Kansas State, real good. They they are uh, they're real good. Oh, that whole uh, win share thing. You know who's third in the country? It's Aoka Lee at 3.6 win shares. Can Kansas State win the Big Twelve? 
I think they can. Yeah. I think if they have their the rest of their cast play the way that they did against UCF, where you had Jalen Glenn go, uh, I'm double checking this, but I believe seven for seven from the floor. Uh, yeah, if if that's the case, absolutely. Uh, but there's been there's been some times where in games that they should win easily, uh, some of the guards have not performed quite as well um and so they're they're gonna need their bench to be able to do something they're gonna need sanchez sides walker all three of them need to give them something uh and then yeah serena sandel was 10 for 14 against ucf again ucf they, they they're not quite there yet they will be i think sooner rather than later but um they they need the rest of them to step up because it's not going to be aoka lee alone that wins them the big 12 uh, and especially against, like, again, a Texas, I I don't know. I don't know that they're quite there. Um, if they can surprise me, that's going to be, I think, their biggest hurdle is, is Texas. Um, but there's going to be some other games that are going to be close that they could drop depending on how the rest of them perform. Yeah, th- this feels to me like it's the, you know, very, very similar to the 2021-22 season where you know it was Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas kind of all fighting up at the top of the conference. Like, those were pretty clearly, I think, the three best teams in the conference. And then you had Oklahoma that was kind of, you know, floating down there that was kind of making a push. I mean, I, I think that West Virginia is kind of in that Oklahoma role, and then you've got Baylor, Texas, and now Kansas State, kind of the three I think clear favorites to kind of be battling. And the real question is going to be who, who falters the most against, you know, the mid-level teams that are really good still and could jump up and get some big upsets. So who, who's, you know, who's going to lose to like an Iowa state, who's going to drop a random one. I don't know. I mean, there is another team that is three and oh in conference still. Well, yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's, there's definitely more, but it's just looking. Yes. Yes. But just looking through, right, you talk about who is, you know, ranked up at the top, who has shown in the non-conference as well as the conference so far that you think it's for sure, like, going to be up at the top. I think those are the three that I don't have any questions about, right? I don't, yeah. there's absolutely no way that I could, that I could see them finishing in the bottom half of the conference. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so, like, it feels like we're coming towards a situation kind of like in 2021, 22. Obviously, there's still a long way to go. Um, but Kansas state feels like they're in it just as much as a Texas or a Baylor at this point, it's just going to be, can they avoid losing those games that they probably shouldn't, or can they have less upset losses to teams like, you know, in Oklahoma or, you know, just a a team that's in the middle of the pack or something like that, um, to allow them to be able to, to not have to go into that last week needing some huge wins. I mean, uh, uh, Kansas state's. Played Iowa twice this season. It's one and one. They've also got to win over North Carolina. Uh, as for Texas, they Kansas State will play Texas in Manhattan this coming Saturday. So that's a big one. ESPNU at 1 p.m. God's time. It is definitely one to keep an eye on. All right. We have a big interview we got to get to. So this episode is long. But uh, it's, look, we're back. You guys want the content. I know you do. This much great basketball talk. we got a bunch of great football talk coming up here in just a second. I know you're happy about it. I know you love it. So uh, do yourselves a favor. The queen of Big 12 women's basketball is, of course, Jamie Steyer Johnson. You can follow her on Twitter at J-S-T-E-Y-Z. 
continue to put out some incredible content there and some of it that we share on the 1012 network patreon go check it out link is in the bio we'd appreciate it if you became a paid subscriber andy mitts 12 that's m-i-t-t-s is where you can find andy on twitter uh, continue to cover the kansas jayhawks and big 12 as well you can find us at 1012 network t-e-n the number 12 the word network on twitter x whatever you want to call it 1012 pod on instagram and threads, yes, I'm posting on threads. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, and of course, Central Podcast on YouTube as well, where you can check out the interview with John Kurtz. The video should be up. Fingers crossed. That's the goal. Life is life. We'll see what happens. Uh, so we're going to get to John. Appreciate Jamie and Andy as always. They will be back again next Monday to talk more Big 12 hoops. Y'all, I'll be back on Thursday. What are we going to have? I'm not going to tell you or it won't happen. Look, the the 2023 college football season isn't even technically over. We still have a national championship to play, FBS, FCS, so on and so forth. But for the Big 12, it's done. For the current iteration and the future iteration of the Big 12, it's over. So it's time to start looking ahead because it's never too early to do a way too early look ahead to what's to come in what's going to be a 16-team Big 12 conference when the teams take the field uh, this coming fall. i, I got to remember, it is 24 now. It's not still 23. So to join me today, to do a way, way too early look at Big 12 contenders for the 24th season. He is, if you're a YouTube fan, I, I assume you listen to his show and watch his show as I do as often as I can. He is John Kurtz. Welcome back, friend. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Happy to be here. Absolutely. It just seemed like a good time to, to get you back on the show. It seemed like a, a worthy conversation to have. Uh, look, uh, as I was preparing for this, and had the idea for it, I think it made the most sense because everyone, we always do way too early looks, way too early looks, way too early looks. And I think in the Big 12, usually, you you know, especially when it's a 10-team conference, we'd, we'd have a two or three teams we talk about. 16-team conference, no Oklahoma, no Texas. So no perennial favorite in Oklahoma, no feels like the right pick and turns out to be Texas like this year. We've talked about the Big 12 for a while now, ever since Oklahoma and Texas announced they were leaving, was going to be this wide open conference. It's fun to bet. It's going to be exciting because you never know who's going to win. We've seen teams get to the Big 12 championship game every year now since it came back that were picked like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the preseason poll. As I put this list together, this is exactly what we all said would happen because I have seven teams I think I can put into a contenders list. Uh, For those of you uh, listening in podcast land, this is a, not a visual medium. I'm using air quotes contenders because who the hell knows. And I've got at least three other teams I think are kind of on the, let's call them dark horse, on the outside looking in. Uh, how how big is your list as we sit here on Janu- in January having this conversation? Yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely as advertised. I mean, everybody said this conference is is probably going to be lacking at the top. I mean, that's what you're missing with uh, really in Oklahoma. Obviously, this year it was Texas, but more consistently it was Oklahoma, a team to legitimately challenge for uh, a national championship. I don't think that you have that uh, in this league, although, you know, Arizona may be a preseason top 15-ish kind of team. They're, they're probably uh, approaching that sort of rarefied air. But yeah, I mean, I think... I would go seven and then maybe eight uh, UCF getting KJ Jefferson to me is the one that kind of jumps into the fold potentially there. Um, I still think there may be more of an adjustment period for them coming in, but uh, you know, KJ Jefferson, PJ Harvey, they've got talent at receiver. They've got skill talent. They've got a, a great recruiting class coming in borderline top 25 recruiting class coming in this year. So I really like a lot of what uh, Gus Malzahn's doing. And by the way, I think he's a, a really good coach too. So 
you know, when that's kind of the bottom of it, I mean, it proves the depth that this league has. And and I think I would go, you know, I mean, Arizona, I think, should be the favorite. Uh, like I said, they've got a stud quarterback coming back, young quarterback who obviously lit it up this year. They've got a 1,400-plus yard wide receiver coming back. Overall, they have 18 of 22 starters uh, returning. I mean, there's just a lot to like there, and they obviously punctuated a a 10-win season with a, a victory over Oklahoma uh, in the bowl game, which which to me kind of announced their their candidacy there and probably set off what will be a, a nice little hype train going for them. Utah's Utah. I know it was not their their best year, but they're going to get Cam Rising back um, for, I believe, legitimately a seventh year of college football, which is crazy. Um, but having him paired with Kyle Whittingham, they're they're just they're going to be a contender. I I don't think there's any other way around that. Um, yeah, I, I, I sorry to interrupt. I I agree on Arizona wholeheartedly. Like, and I don't want to oversell the bowl game. Like, you're not going to force six picks in, in every game of the upcoming season, but. Like they bring back most of the whole team and it, it really feels like they've they've figured a lot of things out this year. And so if you look at that and say, okay, well, you should have, you're coming from a P5 to a P5. You performed very well in what was a good Pac-12 in its final season. And a lot of those guys are still young and new and you're going to have guys develop over this offseason, continue to improve. Like it, it's hard not to look at Arizona and say, I know they're coming into the, the conference for the first time. But this is going to be kind of a new thing for everybody. You're still getting used to the four newcomers from this year. You're going to have four new schools that you're not used to playing next year. The schedules are all completely unbalanced. I, I, I'm, I'm not shocked that you say Arizona should be the preseason Big 12 favorite. I don't think you're the only person who thinks that way. I'm having a hard time not viewing them as a early preseason. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like they came from – this is different than an adjustment period for the four teams that came in this year. I mean, this is not a, a step up. The Pac-12 – much as we make fun of it, it was it was a really good league this year. Uh, they played six ranked teams. They beat four of them, uh, at least teams that were ranked at the time. I know some of those didn't didn't age as well, but uh, that's, that's a pretty strong team. Um, like I said, Utah's Utah, Oklahoma State. They're the defending uh, champions of the league. I, I am interested to see what will happen at quarterback. I know Alan Bowman, speaking of guys trying to come back for about a 17th year of college football, is is potentially uh, going to to try and work his way back in. Um, that would be my one question there. But Ollie Gordon's back, Brennan Presley's back, Colin Oliver's back. Uh, it seems like it's been the opposite offseason of last year for for Oklahoma State so far. I think you definitely have to respect them as as a contender. Plus, again, you know Mike Gundy. Every time you count him out, uh, the guy just comes roaring back. So he's in it. Um, Kansas. I do have some questions because I. I mean, I think Jason Bean is a huge loss just because I. Jalen Daniels played three games this past year. He's played about a full season of college football in the last two years, um, just a, a smidge under probably. So his availability to me is is a big question mark there. And uh, Cole Ballard, I don't think has nearly the ceiling. Plus Jeff Grimes. I mean, that's a that's kind of a Rorschach test. You know, what do you see with the ink blot there? Do you see the guy that had two back-to-back pretty bad offenses at Baylor and got run out of Waco? Or do you see the guy that had Zach Wilson and and put together a really good offense at BYU? Um, I think it's a step down from Andy Kotelnicki. But look, they Devin Neal's a phenomenal running back. I think he rivals Ollie Gordon as, as the best back in the conference. I think he's tremendous. And uh, they have clearly great receivers and uh, just a program that's trending in the right direction and a pretty cushy schedule. So I think, I think Kansas is there. Um, I would still put K-State in that group. Uh, I think Avery Johnson's a future star at quarterback. If you compare what he did this year, how he looked in the bowl game compared to other freshmen like Jackson Arnold, who was a turnover machine, um, you know, Avery Johnson, 250 plus yards, uh, total yards in the game, three total touchdowns, not afraid to just throw the ball away. He was not getting a lot of help from 
you know, they were playing receivers like Seth Porter, who's just a senior program guy, um, and nothing against him. Love the guy, but he he was not going to create much separation or get open. Um, I think they're going to be better at receiver next year. They're chasing some good targets in the portal, and and K State's got Jace Brown emerging as I think the the true number one guy next year, and he had a great bowl game. So I think you pair him with DJ Giddens too, who is probably the most underrated running back in the conference. There's there's not enough talk about him. He had more yards from scrimmage this year than Devin Neal, uh, for instance, and he's going to be back. Uh, K-State will be, have three guys with starting experience back on the offensive line. Yes, you're losing two NFL guys and one of the best in college football in Cooper Beebe, um, but they've been pretty good at replenishing there, and I think that's where they have about as much program depth as anywhere in the in in the uh, the program period. The, the defense, you know, pretty rock solid. Uh, Kobe Savage will be tough to replace. I think they've gotten better on the defensive line where they lost like Nate Matlack, who was probably a surprising one to some. They're still pretty good at corner, even though they did lose Will Lee. That's a guy I can tell you they did not attempt to retain. Uh, so he went to Texas A&M, but they did not feel like that was someone they wanted to keep around in the program. Uh, they've been pretty good at defensive back. They've sent a transfer DB to the NFL three straight years. Um, I, I expect them to, to continue to be pretty good there. And I would say the schedule's manageable, you know, kind of medium hard as far as uh, Big 12 schedules go next year. Plus, Chris Kleiman won the league two years ago. Um, I, I would put K-State in that group. Uh, I'm just working my way down the list here. I already mentioned UCF. I look Iowa State. I think I respect what they did at the end of the year with with Matt Campbell and a young group of talent. Disappointing bowl game, but there, there's enough talent there and a quarterback, which is the biggest thing. They've got a young quarterback that that obviously played really well this year. They seem to have figured things out there. And Matt Campbell, I just think has a high floor. Uh, maybe not the high ceiling that Iowa State fans would want as a head coach, but I think he's got a pretty high floor. Um, so I think you can throw them in the mix there. West Virginia is one that I struggle with, where I kind of. You know, I'm like, some days I can get in and buy that. I mean, there was a lot to like about this year, but they had pretty much the total opposite schedule of what they had uh, this past year, where it was it was very, very reasonable for them. They're going to have to go to Arizona. Uh, they're going to have to go to Oklahoma State. They've got to go to Texas Tech. They host KU and K-State and Iowa State and UCF. I mean, that's it's that's a tough schedule. It's a really tough schedule that West Virginia is going to have. So we'll find out what we need to know about Neil Brown and how much of that was schedule-driven this past year, but... You know, that that to me is kind of the list. And then stopping after that, I mean, you're looking at like Texas Tech, I know has a bunch of talent. And I, to me, they're still outside looking in. Like, I just got to see it, man. I mean, they haven't won more than eight games in, in over a decade. It's just been a long time uh, since we've seen that happen. There's always a bunch of hype every offseason. Tech fans are great and, and they're really good at hyping up what they got. But, you know, I was hearing about Zach Kitley was going to be the big difference maker. And then it felt like by the end of the year, they wanted to run him out of town. Um, I'm still not convinced Baron Morton has this ceiling of a Big 12 conference champion quarterback. You know, TCU sitting there as a team that played for the national championship last year. Um, obviously, it was a huge drop off this past year, but it's it's hard to ignore the pedigree of what they did two years ago and the fact that they can bring in a bunch of talent. Um, you know, so, I mean, there are some teams that I think probably have somewhat of an argument there as well. But to me, that list is kind of where I stopped before before Texas Tech and TCU. Yeah, I think those are two um, legitimate dark horse kind of teams to keep in. I mean, I've said since they hired Joe McGuire, year three is going to be the year for Texas to Tech to really know if this is going to work out and if if there's going to be a big ceiling. And so I think they continue to recruit really well. You've got another good recruiting class coming in for Texas Tech. Um, I, I'm a little bit higher on Barry Morton probably than you are, but I, I think he's in a, a serviceable enough quarterback to in a, in a wide open 16 team conference to maybe get them to Arlington. Like I, I I agree though we got to see it to to believe it with with Kansas State 
it's so hard based off of kind of how the trend has been in the Big 12 of you 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 get there and then you're going to go back to the kind of the bottom of your development cycle. And I, I don't disagree on Avery Johnson. Uh, they're going to bring some key pieces back. But we see this every year, like Big 12 title game participants really seem like they're at a good point in their development cycle. Either they're at the peak or like the year before and they're able to, to get some things to go their way. I would, I would point out kind of OSU for that case. With Kansas State, how how do you see them keeping that consistency with as much turnover? Because we just don't see teams with high turnover get back there without the name Oklahoma on the jersey. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if we're talking about it in the context of being a Big 12 champion, that probably changes it. Because my initial reaction is like, well, I mean, last year they lost higher. They, they, they had more in terms of losses last year to me. I mean, they lost a the first round pick on the defensive line. They lost a the second round pick in the secondary. They lost another draft pick in the secondary. And then they lost Deuce Vaughn, who was just like a you know program changing kind of talent on offense. And they they still won eight games and were six yards away from beating Texas in overtime. Of I think probably playing for a Big Twelve championship. I think the Iowa State game may go differently if there's there's more on the line there that last game of the year. So I I just think this year is not you're not taking significant losses like that. You're going to upgrade. I think at the quarterback position, uh, love Will Howard, and as crazy to, as it is to say that because he's probably going to be playing for Ohio State next year. Um, I think Avery Johnson just is a guy who can elevate others, and Will Howard's a guy that can uh, take a team where you want it to go when you have a lot of talent around him. You know, I didn't even mention that they lost Malik Knowles, who was uh, much more dynamic as a playmaker at wide receiver than anybody they had this year. I would even argue Cade Warner was. Uh, and both of those guys were gone from the Big 12 championship team heading into this past year. I mean, they they just frankly were not very good at receiver uh, most of the year, and they still found a way to put together a nine-win season. So uh, Chris Klein has just been really consistent. Um, the COVID year is the only year where they've really dropped that. Well, it is the only year where they've dropped below eight games. And that first year, I mean, 2019, they didn't have a scholarship running back on the roster when he took over, and they found a way to – go eight and four in the regular season and beat Oklahoma. Like there's, he, he just knows how to program build uh, their program. Depth is much better than where it was when he took over uh, the recruiting class that they had last year is the best that the program's had in a very long time. Uh, and they're, you're going to start to see some of those guys who, who didn't play much as freshmen uh, coming into the fold this year, particularly I would say on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so the talent level is just a lot better in the program. And he's been so rock solid and consistent. I just, I just believe in, his pedigree as a coach there, and they're not losing the high, high-end talent uh, that they had last year. And I think you're going to see some of that start to sprout that they have in the, in the program right now. Like I mentioned, like on offense, I mean, the three-headed monster of Avery Johnson, DJ Giddens, and Jace Brown, I think is, I mean, is, I think that has the potential to be really, really good for K-State. And I, I actually, I mean, I feel better about the offense too now that they've they've added Matt Wells, which again, I know Texas Tech fans kind of take a, a victory lap in, in laughing at that, but the, the problems for him at tech were culture fit CEO management and like game management, all things that you do not have to do as a position coach and a co-offensive coordinator. Um, he had really good offenses with Jordan love. He had really good offenses with Chucky Keaton, but a couple of those didn't wind up looking as good because there were two season ending injuries for him pretty early in the year. Um, so he turned two quarterbacks into stars at Utah state. And then at Texas tech, he had a top 30 offense with a backup quarterback when they ran him out of town at five and three, ironically, after a loss to K-State in 2021. So I actually believe in in his offensive acumen quite a bit. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what that's going to look like at K-State. So I think they've done a pretty good job recovering after it looked like, you know, the Colin Klein loss could be uh, something that really punctured a hole uh, in the program. So I, I still believe in them being a contender. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll win it, um, but I, I think they can absolutely be in the mix uh, based on all that. 
You know, I think it's a good point. At this point, you kind of got to trust in Kleiman. I think we've seen enough to say, like, we know he's going to have a successful team on the field, uh, whether that's contending for a title or just winning eight, nine games. Like, I, they're going to be good. Uh, Iowa State. I am. I'm not ready to put them in the contender list. I have them kind of in my dark horse category. Uh, like they, they definitely overachieved based off of kind of preseason expectations. Once it came out about the the gambling scandal and the players who weren't going to be there, everyone's expectation was this is going to be a bad Iowa State team. How are they going to deal with all this? Whereas I think in in Ames, they all kind of knew what was coming long before the news actually dropped. So they'd had way more time to prepare for this than we did as people covering Iowa State. And so the expectation for us, was not on par with what the team was preparing for. And so, look, I, I agree on Rocco Becht. I think that's a guy who looks like he's going to probably be a first-team All-Big 12 quarterback at some point in his career if he continues to develop based off the level of talent we saw just in his first season. I think they figured out some things on offense that were very uh, anti-Matt Campbell. Uh, there was a switch flipped from non-conference to conference play, which is also very Matt Campbell. And I'm not going to hold a bowl game against him because Matt Campbell doesn't care about non-conference games. So they could go 0-4 outside of the Big 12 and still win the Big 12. But my problem with Iowa State is it's a little bit like Texas Tech. Like You got to the title game in the COVID year. I need you to prove that you can do that without other circumstances going on or that are affecting everyone else. And so, like, I'm not arguing with as much as they were bringing back. Like, I think they bring back, like, the entire offense and everybody, but a couple of key pieces on defense, obviously, like, I think TJ Tampa and another player in the secondary. It was a really good secondary. Like, I I understand what they're coming back, to, and, I, and I think they'll continue to develop. I just I need to see something from Iowa State outside of a COVID year that makes me go like, no, this team can put it all together for a whole season, treat the non-conference like it matters to actually have a really good year and say, we're going to be in Arlington again. Well, you're you're preaching to the choir there. You know, I'm kind of a little deferential to them because of what happened, I think, in that K-State game, which I, you know, I, I don't I will not call it fluky. I mean, it was just a it was a horrific effort from K-State, but I the, the defense was pretty good all year. And that was historically in the years that they've been tracking advanced stats, the worst performance we've ever seen from a K-State defense. So I, you know, you can draw your own conclusion, I suppose, from that. You know, I mean, there was some play like Will Lee was a guy, so they didn't try to keep. He's the one who ran down Sama in the snow and then just like shoved him forward, gave him a little speed burst uh, on his way to the end zone for 20 yards. There were, there were a lot of weird things happening in that game. But look, I, I have to kind of pay respect to what they did. They tore K-State up. Um, with Iowa State, I think the deal with Matt Campbell is like, I think he's got a lower ceiling than what everybody thought when he was first bursting onto the scene, but I think he's got a much higher floor than anybody that's kind of, you know, praying for him to just lay in waste and go away uh, when it looked like they had some struggles. I think he's too good of a coach to to let Iowa State wallow around where like Paul Rhodes had it, you know, three, four wins every single year. They obviously had the blip on the radar one year uh, with that a couple of years ago with the four and eight, but I, I don't think that's going to be very consistent. I think he's, He's a guy that, you know, and I, Iowa State fans will laugh. I've kind of made a joke out of it and certainly did. I, I used to. And he's like, a, he's going to be a seven and five sort of guy. I just think that's that's where they're at every year with him. And I don't think they have that ultimate ceiling. I mean, yeah, the COVID year was wonky, man. I mean, it was like Texas A&M, Iowa State, North Carolina had these amazing years. And we've kind of seen what those programs were outside of that under the the same coaches. They just they have not been able to really replicate all of that. And there was a ton of weird things happening that year. And let's throw into the mix this i mean look brock purdy is like in the mvp discussion in the nfl right now <laughs> uh reese hall is a very legitimately very good nfl running back uh charlie kolar is a very good tight end like they had so much talent they had the big 12 defensive player of the year at linebacker on that team 
And and yet they still didn't beat. I mean, that was not a quintessential Oklahoma team in the in the Big 12 championship game. And then they went seven and six the next year with the entire group of guys back. So I, I just I don't see Iowa State having I don't think this group is going to be more talented than, than that group. Um, so I agree with you. I, I don't see them winning it. It was more like out of respect for exceeding the expectations. My respect for Campbell is a guy who does, I think, have a very high floor um, and a league that's just, you know, it's not going to be a Texas or an Oklahoma, somebody running away from everybody likely in the league. I kind of thought, you know, we'll we'll throw them in the mix. But I, I think your concerns are all very, very valid with Iowa State. Uh, I'm not here. I, I have most of the same teams like on the same list. So I, any poo-pooing for me is me just literally like going back and forth internally and having someone to vocalize yeah. it to. Yeah. For Oklahoma State, like they got to Arlington at the end of the season. And I don't uh, – I, I, look, I am outside of Big 12 an Oklahoma State fan. But even the Oklahoma State fans are like, we're going to win the Big 12 because we've got all these players coming back. And they've had a ton of players announced. Again, three of your starting athletes are lying. Obviously, Ollie Gordon's coming back. You've got a bunch of defensive studs that are coming back. And I and I get all of that. But this is an Oklahoma State team who this season led the nation in winning six games in which they trailed in the second half. Oklahoma State allowed more points per game, 28 per six, 28.6, than any other team that won 10 games this year and scored fewer points per game, 29.6, than all of them except Iowa. They won 10 games with a one-point point differential. Like, I understand that some of that's wonky because you get the Cincinnati blowout and you get blown out by UCF and lose badly to South Alabama. But still, like, it was an Oklahoma State team that was the most Mike Gundy, like, winning close games. Mike Gundy is the king of close games. Uh, he's, his record is basically he's, like, sapped away all of, of Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell can't win close games. Mike Gundy can't. I look at this team and go, like, I understand they're bringing everything back. And we don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. That's a big question mark. Maybe Alan Bowman gets a 17th season. <clears throat> Mary, maybe it's it's Garrett Rangel. I, I don't think they're going to go to the portal for another quarterback this year. It doesn't, that's not the feeling that I'm I'm getting from the program. With all that stuff there, it's like OSU is going to be a contender because of all the pieces they came that came back. But I'm going to have to see a major leap on defense with Brian Nardo, defensive coordinator, in his second year, and some other guys develop before I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm you, you got there, and it's it's great. But man, it, it I'm not going to call it fluky because you won the games. But man, it's just it's so hard to replicate that level of success with that small a margin for a second year. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, Phil Steele uh, always has his list of like teams that he predicts are going to take a big jump or a regression. And a lot of it is based on like that is one of the big factors is how close wins from the year before, because it's the type of thing that can really swing pretty drastically from year to year. Now, it doesn't always work like that, because I do remember the 2011 K-State team, the first year that Colin Klein was a starting quarterback, they won, I believe it was seven games by a touchdown or less. And a lot of people had that feeling. And the expectations from the outside world were not really that high for the team going into 2012 because they thought, well, they're going to kind of fall back. They had a lot of close wins. And it was a little bit fluky. And then they took a jump up to where they were number one in the BCS in November uh, and, and won the conference. So it doesn't always mean that that's what's going to happen. But, yes, I, I do understand what you're saying with that. And I would just, frankly, I would just feel a lot more comfortable if I knew what was going on at quarterback there. I mean, I, I think, and and even with Alan Bowman, yeah, Alan Bowman is what he is. I mean, I think he's solid. He can get the ball to some of the playmakers, um, but he's not going to be overly dynamic as a quarterback. But at least that would give me confidence there's a steadying force there. Rangel, maybe maybe a higher ceiling. I'll be honest. I don't know a, a whole lot about the guy. Um, but that that's the thing. At quarterback... You know, because I think there is going to be some really good quarterback play in the league. Uh, it, it'll be tough if you're not going to have a guy that you can rely on at QB. But Gundy, to me, is like 
Matt Campbell on steroids. Like he, he's going to have a high floor, but he's also shown that he has the ceiling to win the league and win 11 games and go win a new year six bowl. Right. I mean, uh, be somebody that can be within an eyelash of the college football playoff or the national championship game. So uh, that's, I, I just have to buy in and respect that because I was, I was with, like, I was hearing it from all the Oklahoma state fans that watch, watch my channel this past off season. I know it was hard and people were really jumping ship and all the conversation about NIL with Gundy and is the game passing him by and that sort of stuff. And I was finally kind of buying into that. Like, Hey man, I've really respected this guy, but it does feel like it's slipping away. And then he comes back with, you know, one of the best coaching jobs that we've seen from him. So, uh, I'm done doubting him. I, I think, I think you have to just give them the respect and say that they'll be in the mix. I think that's fair. You mentioned quarterbacks. I'll, I'll, I'll divert a little bit. Obviously, we're going to have Rocco Beck back. Avery Johnson's going to take over for Kansas State. Cam Rising is going to be back. KJ Jefferson is joining UCF. Baylor added Daquan Finn from Toledo, who's fantastic. Like It does feel like after kind of a down year from quarterback play in the Big 12, we're about to see, a, a, a frankly, a step up, both from changing of the guards, some guys getting a year better, and some other guys joining the conference. It's it's hard not to say this is going to be the year of the running back with R.J. Harvey and Devin Neal and Ollie Gord. Like four of your top five running backs from this past season are returning, and there's going to be other guys who step up. Maybe maybe uh, uh, I'm going to pronounce it's Abu Sama from Iowa State. Maybe he has a a big year. If you were going to play, peg year of insert here, is it quarterback, running back, or something else in the Big Twelve in twenty four? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to argue with running back. I mean they're they're just going to be so strong there, you know. I mean I think like Taj Brooks is a phenomenal running back. He's coming back at Texas Tech. Like DJ Giddens, like I said, at over fifteen hundred yards from scrimmage, over twelve hundred yards rushing. He looked phenomenal in the bowl game against NC State, which is a top twenty defense. Um, yeah, Harvey is great at UCF. Devin Neal, fabulous. Ollie Gordon literally was the best running back in the country this past year. So um, I think it, it you you can't. I can't just defer away from that, but I do think quarterback play will be better. And I think this was kind of a down year gap year, maybe if you want to call it for quarterback play uh, in the league. And I actually, I'll refer to, I was reading Heartland college sports. I think it was Pete Mundo that um, had a piece the other day where he said, Hey, look like Texas was a deserving champion. They were a deserving team in the college football playoff, but they did perhaps get a little bit fortunate that their biggest weakness this year was the secondary and the league was maybe not as poised to take advantage of that weakness as they typically would be. And uh, the two best passing attacks they saw this year were Washington and Oklahoma. And those are coincidentally two teams that they lost to uh, when they had to go up against Dylan Gabriel and then Michael Penix. So, and look, I mean, I saw that K-State game, for example. I love Colin Klein, but I I felt like they waited way too long to get away from the running game, which was doing nothing. I mean, Tamandre Sweat was just tearing them a new one. And uh, it took them a long time to make the adjustment. And once they did... They came roaring back and uh, probably still should have won the game. Uh, but if they make that adjustment a little bit earlier, things maybe go differently in, in Austin. So uh, just helping slam home the point that, yeah, I think quarterback play was a little bit down. I think the transfer portal work has been good. I think like Jalen Daniels deserves mention too. If he's if he's going to stay healthy, I mean, he's a guy that we've seen at his top end can be a, a really, really good quarterback. So if he stays healthy, KJ, if uh, KJ Jefferson hits, um, you know, if the kid at Baylor hits, which I know there's a lot of excitement about him, who they got in the transfer portal, um, Avery Johnson is who we think he is, et cetera, et cetera. You go on down the line. I, I think it could be a year with much better quarterback play. We kind of led this conversation off talking about how wide open the big toll is going to be. We've got list of contenders that are seven, eight long with some guys or some teams just outside. And that's been the, the expectation of the big 12, but we're also hearing a lot of conversation about 
how good the Big 12 is going to be moving forward. We get the national pundits about, you know, the Big 12 is going to be a, a one-bid league, which is basically saying if they didn't have an auto bid, the Big 12 might not even get a team in the 12-team playoff in a lot of times, which we can set aside the ludicrousness of that all for another day just so that they can get in some more eight-win SEC teams. From your mindset, and I've gone back and forth on this internally for a little while, do you think this is the vet best version of the Big 12? where we're having multiple teams contending year in, year out? Or would the Big 12 be better off, given the way college football is now, given the way the sport is covered, and with a 12-team playoff and, and winning national championships being the only thing that matters as to whether or not your conference is good or not, would the Big 12 be better off having one, another Oklahoma, a team that just kind of dominates the conference year in, year out, wins more often than not, and and has great postseason. Well, they didn't have great postseason success, so that doesn't really translate. But having one team that just dominates the conference and, and becomes the brand everybody knows. I think it's a great question, and I think what, what you said at the end there, uh, kind of stumbled into with Oklahoma, is the key. I, I think there's nuance to this. If it is a team that can have legitimate postseason success and they're running the league every single year, then I think that's probably better if they can actually win games and get to final four, you know, I, I still have a hard time seeing anybody from the big 12 being able to win it in this, in this format. Um, you know, unfortunately the TCU blueprint against uh, Georgia from two years ago is, is one that's hard to shake from your mind, but uh, I would say that if you have somebody, if it is Utah, if it is Oklahoma State, if it's Arizona, whoever it might be, if they can go and consistently win games in that playoff and be someone that's viewed as a threat there, then that may be best um, because you would get a team that at least has some respect in the top 10. Because, like, you go look at there was a list that just came out of uh, from Bet Online of the, the college football playoff odds or, or national championship odds. And it was like out of the top 10 Florida state, I believe was in there, but everybody else was, was big 10 or sec. I mean, that's the type of world you're going to be living in. If you can have somebody that at least gets into that discussion, I think that would probably be better for the league. But if you're not, if it's going to be somebody that's like in Oklahoma that would dominate the league and then just be out in the first round or two of the playoff every single year, then I think it's better to just be this version of the conference, kind of be who you are. And I, I think, unfortunately, that's probably the more likely scenario uh, because you just got to kind of be different, you know? And I think Brett Yormark has sort of understood that. And that's, that's one of the things that makes him great as a leader of this conference is like George Klievkov, I think was too much trying to play the same game being like, Hey, we are, we are basically the big 10, you know, the big 10 got this billion dollar TV deal. That's great news for us because we're close to them and we're going to be close to matching that. And that's, no, that's not what you are. You got to you got to try and be different. Like the ship is sailed. The toothpaste is out of the tube. They're making too much money. The resource gap is too big. You've got to find a way to be fun and different. And that's what the Big 12 is, not just with a, a football league that's not going to be drugged down by, you know, Rutgers, Indiana, Northwestern, Purdue, uh, like the Big 10 is every single year. It's going to be tough. Basically, any game that you're playing, uh, even, you know, like Houston had a really rough year last year. They just hired Willie Fritz, man. He's a great football coach. Like that's going to be a tough out. Um so the the league is is going to have so much depth. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. And then you have basketball where you really emphasize basketball. Like your mark has realized I got a zag where everybody else, where, where the big 10 and the sec are zigging, you know, we just have to do it a different way. So that's kind of a, it's a, it's a nuanced answer, maybe a little bit of a hedge, but I, I think it would depend on if your team at the top would actually be a threat perceived threat in the playoff, uh, at least for the first couple of rounds. And uh, that's something that, I mean, I'll be honest, it, it is kind of a tough read. I feel like it's still more unlikely than likely, but it is sort of a tough read as to how exactly that's going to work out in this 12-team playoff era, which which does make it pretty fascinating. 
Yeah. Like it's it's okay to be self aware and to to look for ways to make yourself good, even if you're not going to be the same as the rest of them. So, John, really appreciate your time, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, do me a favor. Where can everybody check out the work you do covering the Big Twelve and college sports? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, the YouTube channel is just John Kurtz, J O H N K U R T Z. Uh, live shows Wednesdays and Sunday nights, which are uh, a lot of fun. That's the main draw there, but uh, you'll get some other content there as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JL Kurtz uh, if you want more of the day-to-day sort of stuff. And uh, if you are a K-State fan, I do. I co-host a, a K-State-specific podcast uh, with a couple of my buddies, Cole Manbeck and, and Derek Young on KC Sports Network. It is called Three Maw. You know, we say E-Maw, every man a wildcat, E-Maw, but with a three. Uh, three Maw is, is the podcast, wherever it is that you find podcasts. Appreciate it, John. Hey, take care. Podcast Network.